Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. Welcome back to the Fight Club. After a short hiatus, we are back and couldn't be more excited to share today's guest with all of you. Today's episode is the first and definitely not the last learning from the expert episode, where we have an open conversation with an expert in the pediatric oncology field to educate ourselves and better understand the tireless work and dedication that occurs behind the scenes. Specifically today, we are speaking with Helen Antonatis, who works as a transitions counselor for the POGO School and Work Transitions Program, which she will explain to us in more depth throughout this episode. As a childhood cancer survivor myself, I am incredibly grateful for individuals like Helen who make it their life's mission to help those affected by childhood cancer, because unfortunately, the journey doesn't simply end at being pronounced cancer-free. We really hope that you all take something away from today's episode, as we will be discussing the often overlooked challenges that can impact childhood cancer survivors long after they're deemed cancer-free. So here is learning from the expert, Helen Antonides. You're listening to The Fight Club. This morning, we are welcomed by Helen, a valued member of our POGO community. Specifically, Helen serves as part of the POGO's School and Work Transitions Program as a transitions counselor. This program is designed to help facilitate uh, smooth transitions from high school to other schooling and work opportunities for childhood cancer survivors. So the work they do is absolutely amazing. I'll let Helen explain a bit more about it in depth shortly, but without further ado, welcome to the Fight Club, Helen. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're super excited to have you. I think just to start off, it would be really great to hear a bit about your role at POGO and your journey to get here. What prompted you to pursue a career in this? And yeah, go ahead. So... I was a frontline social worker for 15, six, something like 15 years-ish. And I worked in a few different healthcare settings. And the last role that I had was at Sick Kids. And then after that long of doing that kind of work, I was a little tired, a little burned out maybe. And so I needed to take a break. So I left social work for a bit. I started my own business. I was selling children's books. It was great. But after a few years, I kind of felt like something was missing. I feel like like being a social worker or a counselor is kind of part of who I am. And so when I was looking for work, I saw this posting for POGO, which I wasn't really familiar with, but I read about all the great work that POGO does. And then I thought this would be a great way to use my skills, but also it's an area that I didn't, I was going to learn new skills. And yeah, so that's how I joined the POGO team. And I'm so, I feel so lucky that I did. I think POGO is, as well as doing great work, it's a really great place to work. And I've met some really incredible people that I work with and also survivors that I work with. And yeah, I'm feeling very lucky to work at POGO. Right. Well, we can definitely second that sentiment. We've luckily been slowly adopted under the POGO umbrella (laughs) and being in the office. So it's definitely an incredible place to work as well as just the people are so inspiring. Could you tell us a bit more about your day-to-day role and kind of what encompasses the work that you do and and who you work with? Yeah, so the full name of our program is the POGO School and Work Transitions Program. Mm -hmm. And we work only with childhood cancer and brain tumor survivors who are 16 or older, no age cap. We can work with them 
forever. And typically we get involved when there's some kind of big life transition that has to do with school or work. So a lot of times it is high school students who are figuring out what their next step is after high school. So is it going to be an apprenticeship or a gap year or post-secondary? And we work with them to help them figure that out with the application process. A lot of the clients I work with need accommodations when they go to post-secondary. So we work with them on that. And then the employment part, we do, we help with resume preparation, interview prep, finding volunteer opportunities, that kind of thing. And there's, when I say we, there's, I'm in Toronto, but we also have counselors in Ottawa, Kingston, in Hamilton, and in London. Right. So we all work with the different pediatric oncology centers in those cities and hospitals in those cities. Right. And for the program, are the kids typically approaching you or are you approaching them? A bit of a mix. We work with really great teams at the hospitals. I work with the teams at Princess Margaret and Sick Kids in Toronto. And so they send us referrals. They'll talk to people in clinics and send us referrals. And I also go to the Sick Kids Clinic every week and meet anyone who's 16 or older. I try to meet them in clinic so that they know the program is here and what it can offer. And so... Sometimes we connect right then and start a relationship and sometimes they'll get back in touch with me in the future when they might, might need my help or support. That's me. Sure. Well, that's awesome. And I'm sure everyone can imagine the super important program to exist, but I would love to hear from your perspective. Why do you think this program is so valuable and why do these survivors need this extra level of support that a typical um, high school student may not need? So a lot of people don't know, I certainly didn't know until I started this job that for some childhood cancer survivors, the treatment they get that saves their life can affect their brain and how they learn, as well as they might have a physical disability. And lots of them also have mental health challenges. And these things often don't show up right away. They take a few years. And so, you know, high school and trying to figure out post-secondary, it's a time when all of those things kind of feel bigger, they become more important, more significant in their lives. And so for some survivors, they're going to need significant accommodations when they go on. So they're going to, there's all kinds of different accommodations, but for some people listening to a lecture, say at college or university, and then being able to write down at the same time, their brain just can't quite do those two things at the same time. So they might need to get notes in advance or have a scribe who will make those notes for them. That's just one example of an accommodation, but there's lots of different ones. And also I think for some survivors, there's a lot of pressure put on them. It's sort of like this, you survived, you lived. So now you have to be like a shining star and there's a ton of pressure. And so some of our work is kind of working through that and helping them realize that, no, you're like, you went through an extraordinary thing, but you are an ordinary person and you need to figure out for yourself what your goals are, what your dreams are and work towards those, not feel the pressure to do it for somebody else or for some, you know, reason, like there's this expectation of you. Absolutely. I think too, to your point, like those are things people don't know, right? You, when you hear about cancer, childhood cancer too, all you think about is the physical process to, to sure. getting better. And a lot of those more abstract, variable, mental health related concepts don't really get addressed or I, I don't want to say it's like taboo, but like people just don't talk about it. It's not, it's not a automatic thing you think of when you think of someone who has cancer or childhood. Sure. So I love to hear from your perspective as well, a bit more about that and why, 
why you think that's such a valuable aspect of patient care, because I think you hit the nail on the coffin. It's especially as someone who's been through it myself, I totally can relate to a lot of those sentiments. I think for some families, they want to leave it in the past and either they don't know, or they don't want to think about that. Sometimes childhood cancer can be a chronic lifelong disease. Then it's just different effects. You might not be going in for chemo, but there's different effects on you. And lots of school professionals don't know that. I talked to um, a guidance counselor a couple of weeks ago who said, well, it's in his chart that he had cancer, but that was a long time ago. So that's not the reason he's having struggles now. And so, you know, there's education that we have to do as well that no, no, he did have cancer a long time ago, but those struggles still exist now. And sometimes they're the kind of like executive function struggles with, you know, being organized, managing time, just getting things done. And sometimes, you know, kids are labeled as being like lazy or not motivated or not interested when actually it's just, it's the way their brain works and they just need extra support to be able to be successful. Absolutely. I think it often is also overlooked and it shouldn't be at the responsibility of the, of the child or the survivor to to have to, you know, speak up. Well, of course they want to speak up for themselves, but it's hard. And given what they've gone through, they don't want pity or sympathy. They just want to be understood on a different level. And even from the work that we do, when we explain that we're in support of POGO, everybody immediately thinks, oh, we're helping raise money for the treatment because that's the initial problem at hand, but it's completely overlooked. Eloise often talks about like health anxiety, which is a huge huge factor of survivorship but and and I think most people can understand that but when it comes to like education and learning it's so prevalent to them but nobody else can see it it's like it's like a non-visual disability it's the exact same so I think raising awareness for that is so important because it helps survivors be heard in a different light than they normally are and these experience mani- experiences manifest themselves in crazy ways, right? Like, Absolutely, like you were yeah. saying, things you don't even think were a result of you having cancer 10 years ago, in fact, really can be, which yeah. is crazy to think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we say invisible disability. Right. Because for some of our survivors, you can see physically, but for many of them, you can't. And when you have a conversation, you don't think anything of it, but really they're struggling to maybe keep up with that conversation or yeah. And you can't see what's happening. And you're right, Chloe, it's a burden to Mm -hmm. ask each survivor to have to explain over and over to everybody. Exactly. It's actually one thing I've learned is that a lot of survivors, they, they don't want to like hear that they're an inspiration or they don't want to hear that. They just want to be able to go through school and get a job and just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So having to repeat it and explain it all the time, sometimes they just you know, they don't want to do that. And fair enough. So we're, our team is certainly happy to advocate and educate as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Since you do have such a meaningful career and you're helping and touching the lives of so many, what for you has been the most rewarding part of, of your job in this role at POGO? Rewarding. I think, I mean, it's obviously rewarding when you know, I'm working with someone who's trying to find a job and then they find a job or they really want to get into a program and then they get into a program. But actually for me, I think it's more when I'm having conversations with survivors and they just, they feel understood sometimes for the first time. And when, you know, I'm able to say to them, like, don't compare yourself to all the other people your age. They didn't go through what you went through. You have to figure this out for yourself. You're going to take your own path. And sometimes, well, oftentimes it's the first time anyone 
has said that, kind of given them that permission. So I think for me, that's the most rewarding is being able to just make them feel seen and understood in a way that they might not have been before. Right. That's amazing. And I think that's definitely something that's needed just back to the point of once you finish your cancer treatment, it's not over. Right. And you just want to feel, feel understood and that people get what you're going through and they get that your experience is different than everyone else's. And they get that you are, or alleviate some of the pressure of you needing to be this normal, straight and narrow person, like a lot of your peers and your classmates and things like that. So I think that that makes total sense why that would be so rewarding. And on the other side of that, what do you think has been the most challenging part of it for you? For me, it's employment opportunities for people who have significant disabilities, especially cognitive disabilities, especially the ones that are invisible. There are people who just so genuinely want to work. They want to work to contribute. They want to work for financial reasons, for their own growth, because they know they can, they have skills, you know, and they want to be part of society and just have a job. And there's tons of programs out there to help them find jobs, but it's very hard to find employers who are willing to kind of take a chance um, and hire someone or to give them support. So if they hire them and then realize that maybe they're a little bit slower or maybe they need to have instructions written down instead of being told to them, things like that. Sometimes employers are not as understanding as I I would expect they would be. So it can't, that's very hard. It's very discouraging. And there's only so much that I can do to help someone in that situation and to support them. And so that means discouraging for me as well as for, for the client. There's a huge lack of education when it comes to cancer as a disability, because at least in the employment training I've done, I can't recall it ever really being brought up. So, I mean, getting them into the role is one thing, but sustainability of how they're going to be treated once they're in that position or how expectations might change, I'm sure must be very challenging. I'm curious if COVID and work from home has like how it may have shifted the role that you had or kind of the ability for your program to work? It's so a fair bit of our work because I work with people all over, not just in Toronto is done on the phone already. So in some ways introducing Zoom was great because instead of just talking to or emailing people who live far away, I could actually see them, which makes a difference, but it was hard to not be able to meet in person, hard not to be able to be in the clinics and the hospitals. Luckily our partners there were great at continuing to tell people about the program, but it was hard to not be there in person for sure. And there's some conversations that are just better had in person that we couldn't do. But I think, I think we adapted pretty well, but it was hard. I mean, for a lot of our clients, online learning was really, really hard. And even for students who were thinking about going to university or college, not being able to go on a campus visit, that was a big loss as well. But hopefully, I mean, it seems like we're going back to normal. I, I know students are pretty excited about that, about being able to get back on campuses in the fall. So yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. Yes, exactly. I think it, it's looking up. I would hope. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I sure hope. Um, <laughs> I think I can speak on behalf of both Chloe and I when I say that this has been a super educational podcast episode for us. It's always really nice to hear professional opinions on things like this and really highlighting some things that are pretty underrated and not talked about. I know at least I'm a cancer survivor, so I understand and can relate to a lot of the challenges you're talking about. But I think 
people who haven't been in that position and don't understand really don't know what these survivors experience on a day-to-day basis. So I really appreciate you highlighting that for us. As I'm sure you know, one of our mottos at the Goodhood Club is you're stronger than you think, which really just highlights the internal strength that people have in our community, um, childhood cancer related and beyond. But I would just love to hear um, a bit about what that sentiment and motto means to you, especially in your role, and just how, how you interpret that and the importance of it in the work that you do. I think when I hear that, I think about so many people I've worked with as a social worker and at Pogo, but even before that, and how so many people just have kind of disaster after disaster in their lives. And yet somehow they're able to find the strength and the inner resources and the external resources to pull through it. And sometimes that's messy and difficult and there's a lot of tears and frustrations, but I've always been amazed at how people in the most difficult, vulnerable life situations find that strength somehow to just keep going until life gets better. Absolutely. It's a huge motivator to just see what they're capable of doing. And congratulations for being a part of that and being an advocate. It's incredibly admirable, the work that you do. And I can imagine it's very far from easy. So thank you for being a part of the Pogo community and helping so many children and families through an overlooked issue that many cancer patients experience. So thank you for joining us and sharing with our audience the incredible work that you and Pogo do. Hopefully it inspires people to get involved and continue to supporting an incredible cause. And thanks so much to both of you for all the work that you're doing to support Pogo and other organizations that support kids with cancer. I just think you guys are both, you're obviously so dedicated and so creative and I just love what you're doing. So thanks to both of you. Thank you. It takes a village, right? For sure. (laughs) We all need to work together to build that community of unconditional support. So absolutely for one another. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening and wants to learn more, you can find everything online. And once we close off this episode, we'll explain a little bit in more detail where you can find some resources and find ways to support. Can I give one quick plug for one of our programs? Definitely. It's called the Survivor to Survivor Network. And so POGO hires survivors who have barriers to employment, and we train them to give workshops to other survivors on topics that are of interest to the community. So there's four altogether, and there'll be four in the summer and then four in the fall on different topics. And you can find that information on the POGO website, but it's a great opportunity to learn about the different topics, but also to connect with other survivors. That's the feedback we always get is that that's the best part to connect with other survivors and find out you're not alone in what you're dealing with and what you're worrying about. And it's, it's a really great program. So it would be great to get um, some other survivors who would, who might want to join into that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing the work you guys do never ceases to amaze me. I'm always impressed. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Helen. Okay. Thank thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. We'd like to close by once again thanking Helen. The work Helen does is invaluable to the survivor community and we cannot thank her enough. We encourage all of you to sign up for the Pogo Transitions newsletter linked in the blog post. The newsletter is published twice a year and offers the latest information about services for childhood cancer and brain tumor survivors. 
general event listings, and articles about education, work, and survivorship. So we highly encourage you to sign up for that. Thank you so much, and everyone have a great rest of your week.